Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. We pray. Now, we've been building a case of the defense of the gospel of Jesus. And um, we've, we've, we've talked about several things and the claims of Jesus, how true they are. So I, I want to wrap up this uh, particular month of apologetics. We're going to be having apologetics month every year just going forward. Uh, just a bit to whet your appetite enough to go further to study. And so, um, I, I want to look at the scriptures today. So, it's what I call sola scriptura. Sola scriptura, it's the Latin word for the authority of scriptures. So, I'm going to explain what that means. Uh, so, that's what we're looking at today. Scripture as the sole authority of the Christian faith. Scriptures as the sole authority of the script of the Christian faith, sola scriptura. Now, I, I don't know if I, if my people have it up, but there is this little paper here called the cumulative case for the reliability of the gospel eyewitness accounts. It's uh, it's from a book called the Cold Case Christianity. So what we're going to do, we'll put it on our various platforms so you can download it and go through it. But it just shows how the gospel eyewitnesses are reliable. How the gospel eyewitnesses are reliable. The fact that the people who witness the gospel, they are reliable. Okay? So it talks about the timing of the scriptures. There were certain times that were recorded in scriptures. When you check it with history, it's consistent. The gospel eyewitnesses were verified by archaeology. There was Jewish collaboration if you read history books uh, of the Jewish writer called Josephus, Josephus wrote a lot about uh, some of the eyewitnesses, okay? The language was appropriate, the current, lo the locations that they indicated in scriptures were appropriate locations. You know, the gospel was accurately delivered and a whole lot of that. So, I'll, we'll make this available on our platforms, you can just download it and... Um, it just shows you, what we're trying to prove this morning is the fact that the gospel account was, is verified. That the Bible is verifiable. Okay? So, we'll put this up. Then I'll recommend this book called God Breathed, The Undeniable Power and Reliability of Scripture by Judge, Judge McDowell. Now, Judge McDowell is one of the finest apologists that you have. Available. This just talks about the reliability of scriptures. And that's very important because one of the things that people contest about, contest so much, is that is the scriptures reliable? How are we not sure that some people just decided to just write something and just bring it to us? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. The phrase sola scriptura is from the Latin word solar, meaning the idea of alone. Alright? or the ground, or the basis. And the word scriptura means writings. 
Now, it's important, we need to understand something, that when we refer to scriptures, right, primarily in the New Testament, right, now pay attention to this, in the New Testament, when you see the word, the scripture said, is actually referring to the Old Testament. Because you know, as of the time the New Testament was written, the old, uh, the, as, of the time, as of the time the New Testament was being written, there was no New Testament, okay? So when it says, as the scriptures said, it's actually referring to the Old Testament. Like I said this morning, we're just going through basic verification that the Bible is true, okay? So it will be a lot of history, you know. Now, the Bible is complete, and it's authoritative. Two scriptures I want us to read, which is very, very important. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Okay? Because sometimes what you now have is people say, Oh, how do you know the Bible is God's word? How do you know? And then they start about all those many, how do you know? Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, we can read from verse 15. It says, And from childhood... You have known... Now, I like the New American Standard Bible. Uh, well, maybe as we progress, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about biblical translations. Okay? Because sometimes people... Uh, you know, that's where people sometimes also try to get it wrong. There are translations that are thought-for-thought translations. That means they took the Greek or the Hebrew thoughts and they translated it. There are translations that are word for word. Their emphasis is on taking the Hebrew or the Greek word and translating it into English. Alright? Then you have what you call the paraphrase translations. Now, the paraphrase the, is just like when somebody says, try to summarize this or try to, you know. So, the, the paraphrase translations are translations that uh, the, the translators, you wouldn't call them translations in that sense, but they paraphrased it to make it a little bit in modern English. Uh, so you would find uh, translations like the message translation and, and, and all of those translations. And that's why you find out that, uh, for instance, as a Bible teacher, I rarely use paraphrase translations. Because paraphrase translations, I'm not saying they're not correct, but paraphrase translations are translations that are just paraphrased so people will understand it. Now, my concern as a Bible teacher is, although I want people to understand it, I want to get as close as I can to the original word. Okay, so the New American Standard Bible is a word-for-word -word translation. So if you look at that place now, it uses the word sacred writings. That you have known from childhood the sacred writings. Now those sacred writings are the writings of scriptures. Which are able to give you the wisdom. Now observe this now. This is where Sola Scriptura comes. That leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now what he's saying there is that the scriptures essentially were given so that it will lead us to salvation. Therefore, the scripture alone is enough for salvation. Are, are you following this? You don't need another um, holy book. You don't need another, you know, they will say there are the seven book of Moses, you know, and uh, we will talk about the Latter-day Saints, you know, uh, how that their book came about, the Mormon Bible. You don't need any other book 
to lead you to salvation. The scriptures alone is enough for salvation. He says the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15, Paul summarizes in one verse all about the Christian faith. That the Christian faith is salvation through faith which is in Christ. And we can have the wisdom that leads us to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus by the sacred writings which is the scriptures. Are you following this? So when we say sola scriptura, we are saying that the scripture is all encompassing, is all in one for salvation. The believer does not need any more spiritual books. That's the essence of that. Now, that phrase, I'll talk about that, but let's read on the next verse, verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired. Now, that word, inspired, it's, it's God-breathed. Alright? God-breathed. It means that God breathed upon men to write the scriptures. All scripture is inspired by God. So, scripture is the inspiration. The Greek word there is still T E T H E O, is still, then neustos, P N E U S T O S, God breathed. That means God breathed his inspiration upon men, and men captured that inspiration. So, it's not like God took the, the, the Bibles himself and wrote them. No, he inspired men to write it. That is also very important because if he inspired men to write it, it means that the, the, the written word of God will come through the personalities of those men. Okay? Because you must understand something, that the Christian faith does not deny humanity. The Christian faith does not... You know, it, it's not a faith that is esoteric, that's just spiritual, that's an illusion. That's why the mistakes of the heroes of faith were recorded in scriptures. The adulterous affairs of David was recorded. Are you following that? It's not a book that's just saying everybody in it was perfect. No, it's a documentation of God's working in the life of men in spite of their frail weaknesses. Are you following this? That's why there's no evil you will find on earth today that men are committing that if you actually study scripture, you will not find somebody who, who was doing that. And listen, no book that was put together will intentionally reveal the weakness of his strongest men. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you think as a pastor, if I want to write a biography about myself, I'm going to write about all my mistakes so that people will look at me very bad? What do you think you'll do? Okay, what do you think you will do if you write about yourself? Do you think you write about your mistakes? Nah. Even when people say, I want you to learn from my mistakes, they will share the very nice mistakes. That when you really look at it, it doesn't look like mistakes. They will share the ones. You know what I'm saying? I mean, do you think if you want to write a biography about, I mean, if you, if you, if you had a parent who had an adulterous affair, do you think you want to write that? No, you don't want to do that. You, you, so you realize that the scripture does not hide the frailty of, of what you call the heroes of faith. Peter, his denial was in scriptures. Are you following what I'm saying? Alright, so, 
So the word there is God breathed. So if you use some translations, you see the word God breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. So all of scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed by God. It's inspired. Okay? And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 to 21. Second Peter chapter 1. Because once people deny that this is not the word of God, then it becomes... In fact, as I was studying yesterday night, I saw a guy wrote an article on Vanguard. The Bible is not the word of God. I tried to read it. I saw some of the things he wrote, but I didn't have time to read all, the, all he wrote. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. But first of this... Oh, sorry. But, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture... Is a matter of one's own what? Interpretation. This is where charismatics have to be careful. This is where charismatics have to be very careful. Because what we do in the charismatic faith sometimes is that we don't, we don't compare scriptures with scripture. Somebody will just get up and say, at two o'clock this morning, God woke me up and, you know, you know, and I, I, I you know, showed me a scripture and then this, 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 and then, and then the person runs off that tangent. And then you hear people say, well, that's what the Bible means to you. This is what it means to me. The scriptures were never, was never designed primarily to mean many things to many people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, because it now becomes variable. What the Holy Spirit does, please pay attention to this. What the Holy Spirit does is that it brings illumination to scriptures. The scripture will never say today what he hasn't said yesterday. The scripture is constant. And so when you are interpreting scriptures, it is important that you are not giving it your own private interpretation. Let me tell you, you can commit any kind of evil with this book. You can preach anything with Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You can, you can, <laughs> you can destroy your life with it if it's not what? Properly interpreted. So you can put your own private inter- I mean you can just read now so that and, and, and you can just turn to, to any of the Old Testament book and say they lit seven candles. Eh? I mean it's in the Bible. And before you know, you start lighting candles. Praise God. Yeah. So it's important that we know how to interpret scriptures. And the reason that sometimes interpretation of scripture is difficult is because as we began to progress in the Christian faith, we began to leave, now pay attention to this, expository teaching. Okay? What is expository teaching? Expository teaching is very simple. You take a chapter of the Bible, you go verse by verse, verse by verse, verse by verse, verse by verse. But we began to leave expository teaching because it takes time and it's it's boring. Eh? Hello? Okay. Your reply shows that it's boring. I'm just saying. Okay? So imagine we're on one... You know, we are imagine that we're teaching Ephesians, verse one, two, three, four. I mean, you go to church, you know, man, Ephesians chapter verse five again. Ah, Ephesians, and you're like, how will Ephesians pay my rent? Who Ephesians help? You know, and so pastors, we want to preach something that's contemporary. You know, that you can use. And, and the challenge with that is sometimes you just want to take one verse of scripture, you know, build people's hope, exhort people, encourage people. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we take that to the extreme, what we have is that we begin to take scriptures out of context. I've shown you a typical example that we use all the time. How many of you have read that scripture? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Have you read it? How many of you have quoted it for all the things you want to do? 
I can do all things. Say, God, my friend, go for it. I can do all things through Christ. You know he wasn't talking about your ability to do all things. He was talking about your ability to abase or to abound. That when you prosper, your head will still be correct. When you are poor, your head will still be correct. So I, I can have correct head through Christ that strengthens me. But you see, we took that scripture and we turned it to a scripture of ability to do all things as opposed to an ability to survive all circumstances. How did we get there? We took it out of context. Which one suits you more? Be honest. Is it when I come and I say, listen, you can do all things. I believe you can do all things. That suits you more than if you're going through hard times and I say, I know, you know, you can enjoy these hard times through Christ that strengthens you. Come on now. I mean, if you think that's good. No. What you want is, you know what? Just as Jesus crossed from Jericho to Judah, you are crossing. <laughs> and what that could simply mean was that Jesus just entered the boat and went to Port Harcourt. That That would be all that verse was designed to just tell us that Jesus went to Galilee. That he literally just traveled. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, are there scriptures that talks about our deliverance? Yes. This is the challenge. We can't take scripture for where it is put and take it to another place and you just model of scriptures. There are things that are being taught. You know, <laughs> I, I've, 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 I've been doing something on the critical studies in the book of Mark and it's been interesting some of the things i found as you study Mark. That when you begin to approach the scriptures with the intent of knowing exactly what God is trying to communicate, it's amazing the little things you begin to find. Praise God. Alright, so we know that, first of all, that no scriptures, no prophecy of scripture is a, a matter of one's own private interpretation. V- verse 21, for no prophecy. Now, when it says no prophecy here, you remember the prophecy is talking about, right? The prophecy is not taught, saith the Lord. What's the prophecy? Come on now, say talk to me. What's the prophecy? The prophecy of what? Scripture. So it's referring to what? Scriptures. Okay. Did you follow that? Your look doesn't look like it. Let's, let's go through it again. Verse 20. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture. So we must understand that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Verse 21. For no prophecy. So what prophecy is he talking about here? The prophecy of what? Scripture. That's very here. Yeah. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They spoke from God. Now this corroborates what Timothy said, what Paul told Timothy, that the scriptures were God breathed. So 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 20 to 21 and 2 Timothy tells us that the written word is the inspired word. Right? The written word is the inspired word. So that's very, very important to note. The canon of scripture, I'll talk about the canon of scripture, then we'll go back to Sola Scriptura. What's the canon of scripture? How did people, how did we decide to say, these books are no more? Right? Because if you read some Bibles, uh, if you read especially the Catholic, some of the Catholic Bibles, or some other Bibles, 
I used to have them, but I don't have them anymore. There are other 14 books called the Apocrypha books. Okay? So you have Ezra's, 1st Ezra, 2nd Ezra's, Maccabees. You've got all those books. Now, why are those ones not included in scriptures in terms of the Bible? Why, why is the Bible closed? How was it canonized? The word canon is the Greek word rule or measurement. Alright? Four things determine the scriptures that we have now, which are the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Number one, the writing was authored by an apostle or prophet of God or someone closely connected with one or more of the apostles. Now, I mean, that means for a script, for this scripture, what, what brought the decision of this scripture that these are the only books that are accepted in the Bible was the fact that anybody who wrote it must be closely connected to Jesus. Which means that that person was either a foundational apostle or very closely related to one of the apostles or wrote for one of the apostles. I don't want to go into theological details, but you would find out that we have 12 foundational apostles of the Lamb. That's very important. Now, outside of those 12 foundational apostles, there are no more foundational apostles. There are apostles, but there are no more foundational apostles. The foundational apostles of the Lamb are the 12 disciples or the apostles that Jesus chose himself. Okay? So those are the foundational apostles that made up the church. The Bible says the church is built on the, apostles, on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Number two... The writings clearly evidenced by the confirming power and presence of God. So, the writings confirm the power and the presence of God. There's a, there's a confirming evidence when you read those scriptures. Then number three. The message was consistent with other recognized scriptures. Uh, uh, the message was consistent with other recognized scriptures. So, for instance, as we go on, I'll talk to you about that. You rea realize that muzzle not the ox was written in the book of Deuteronomy. Right? And then you find it in the book of Luke. And then Timothy quotes it and says, For as the scripture said, muzzle not the ox that tread. So, you see that Paul quotes Deuteronomy, calls it scripture. So, when you read Deuteronomy and you read Timothy, you realize that the message is what? Is consistent. So, all the books that are canonized have a consistent theme running through them. So, there is consistency from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, you could pick any scripture in the Bible and teach redemption from it because that's the central thread that runs from Genesis to, to Revelation. The central threads that run is redemption. You know, when some people read the book of Revelation, all they see is the beast. You know, the Bible did not say the fear of the Antichrist is the beginning of wisdom. Is that what the Bible said? The fear of the Antichrist is the beginning of wisdom? What does it say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, more people are afraid of the Antichrist than they are of Christ. Which is very strange. Okay? I pray that God will help us one time to look into the subject of eschatology. Eschatology is brilliant. It's, it's amazing. When you see the conclusion of God's plan for this earth. It's amazing. You know, people get worried about eschatology because they don't understand the difference between the word, the use of the word end time. Okay? Just to drop that. You know, end of time, end time in scriptures does not mean the end of time. The word time is the word aeon or ages. So end time most times in scripture refers to the end of a particular age. And it's also called the end of the world. 
translated the word world, but actually should be correctly translated time, aeon or ages. And sometimes when you read the scriptures, when it talks about the end of the world, it was referring to the end of the Jewish age. You know how people say today, you know why in the last of the last, have you ever heard preachers say that? We are on the last of the last of the very last day. <laughs> but Peter said, this is that which was spoken about by the prophet Joel. When he said this is that, what was he referring to? He was referring to the prophecy of Joel that in the last days are part of my spirit. So as of when Peter was alive, that was already the last day. Simple. Peter said, This is that. What is that? We look at Joel. Joel says, In the last day, a part of my spirit. So when the day of Pentecost came, that was the last day. That's the last day started in there. So the last day is not just something in the future, the last day is something that's already started that we're part of. Praise the name of the Lord. Right. Number four. The writing was widely accepted by the church from an early date. The writing was accepted by the church from an early date. So, for the canon of scriptures, the writing was accepted by early church fathers from a very early date. Now somebody says, okay, but if they wrote the scriptures, couldn't they have added things to it? No, they couldn't. Why? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2, and Jeremiah chapter 26 verse 2, the scriptures warns against addition. So they wrote, I mean, except we don't trust the power of God, they wrote within the dictates of God for their lives. They wrote within the uh, ability of the things they could express that God allowed or permitted them to express a scripture. So they couldn't add to it. Deuteronomy 4.2 and Jeremiah 26 verse 2. Now in AD 367, in AD 367, uh, Antonius of Alexandra compiled the first official list of books that we know today as the New Testament. He was the first person who compiled who compiled. You know, I, I, well, I mean, it's basic, but you know King James was, was, was a king who just authorized that the Bible should be published, translated. Okay? So that's why you see they call it the authorized King James Version. So he just gave the authority that it be uh, printed, published. Okay. So Antonius of Alexandria in AD 367 compiled the first official list of the books we noted as the New Testament. There were two councils that the Christian councils, early councils, that canonized of, or agreed that these will make up the Bible and there will be no other addition. There was the Council of Nicene and the Council of Hippo. Three, two councils. The Council of Hippo took place in AD 397 and then the, the sorry, the Carthage Council, not the Nicene Council. Nicene was when they talked about the, the creed of the Protestant church. The, 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 the Council of Hippo was in AD 393 and then the Council of Carthage in AD 397. Those two councils uh, was where they agreed on the canon of scriptures. And after that, there was no longer any addition to the scriptures. Then as early as the 4th century, that's in uh, about 150 BC, the scriptures of the Old Testament were already agreed upon. 
So what that means is that when Jesus actually came, he was reading from the Old Testament. So there was no dispute about the Old Testament in that sense. The, the scriptures that made up of the Old Testament were already agreed upon. You realize that when Jesus went to the temple, he was reading from the book of Isaiah. Okay? So, the script, so that, that validates the Old Testament. Jesus read and taught from the Old Testament, validating the Old Testament, and you can use the Old Testament validation by Jesus to compare the New Testament, which means that we can look at the New Testament and find its consistency in the Old Testament, and you are able to use that to validate if the New Testament is true, because even in the New Testament, Jesus quoted extensively from the Old Testament and referred to it as scriptures. Do you understand this? Then, um, then the apocrypha books, I talked about that. The word apocrypha means hidden. Those are some of the books you find. If you buy some of these Catholic Bibles, you've got them, okay? Uh, Ezra's, Maccabees, and all of that. They will just tell you a bit of, of some of the things that happened and all of that. Then you also now have certain books that comes out, and then people say they are also spiritual books. I think there's the book of Thomas, there's the... Something, something about John or something that people just pop up and say these are also spiritual books. Well, those books are not canonized. And some of them just came very recently. Alright, then you have, uh, for instance, the Mormon, the Latter-day Saints. They have what you call the Mormon Bible. Um, in 1827, the founder of Mormons, Joseph Smith, said an angel appeared to him in New York with a golden stuff and unveiled stuff. And that's how the... The Mormon Bible came, and I think the Mormon Bible was published in 1830. The first Mormon Bible was published around 1830. So they add that with the Bible to make up spiritual books. And the Bible alone is sufficient for salvation. That's what the scripture says. Praise the name of the Lord. The believer has no business reading other spiritual books to undergird the Bible. The Bible alone is sufficient for salvation. Now, what's the concept of Sola Scriptura? The concept of Sola Scriptura, there are the five solas, like I said, today is a bit of history, so just enjoy the moment. Uh, it was very interesting. I, I was watching, Robert Slyadon was in Nigeria. He came to preach for Polynesia. And interestingly, I enjoyed, I watched his sessions because as I've been inspired by Robert Slyadon. He wrote, his, he wrote his first book at the age of 12 and then he did the God's General series. So I knew regularly Roberts would preach history, you know. And it was really amazing as he talked about the history of revival, Amesin Pemacpherson, Catherine Coleman, and, and, and a couple of all of those people. So sometimes in church, uh, we should just enjoy history. We should just enjoy listening to the history of our faith. It just inspires us, all right? You know, sometimes you might feel a bit awkward. So what do I write? Where can I say amen? No, no, it's fine. Just listen. Okay? All right. So, what, 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 and the reason it, I, I talked about it is because Robert Lydon talked about it. Uh, and, you know, and I, I was glad he talked about it. Because when you study church history, uh, Martin Luther, not, you know, a lot more church people know about Martin Luther, the civil rights activist. I have a dream than... Martin Luther, who, named, who nailed the 95 faces to the, to the door of the Roman Catholic Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now, the one you should know more is not the one that had a dream. The one you should know more is the one that made you to be able to sit in church and to read Bible. Martin Luther. So, Martin Luther was a monk, 
And um, in those days, the Catholic Church, nothing against the Catholic Church, please, just history. Uh, in those days, the Catholic Church, they used to sell penance. So if, if, if somebody was, was dead, didn't believe, you could pay for them. And a lot of things were coming up. The bishops were held in such extreme high esteem. The word of the Pope was the word of God. And uh, here came Martin Luther. He was, was a lecturer in the Roman Catholic Church. And then he stumbled on, he, he began to read Romans. He was teaching the book of Romans. He began to read Romans and talked about the just shall live by faith. Then nobody had access to the Bible. The, the, it was only the, the, the bishops and the, the, the top priests that had access to the Bible. So people could just, couldn't even read for themselves. Okay? So, um, at that time, a lot of traditions were being mixed. We're going to read that up. A lot of traditions were being mixed with the Word of God. That for a man to obtain salvation, he has to do this, he has to do that, he has to do this. A lot of things were being missed. And so, the Protestant Reformation, which came out from the Lutheran Protestant Reformation and the Reformed Gospel, came out with the five solas. Okay? One of the, one of the essential solas is sola scriptura. Which means that the scripture alone is enough for salvation. And listen, why do we have to re-emphasize all of these things? The church of Jesus Christ, if cares is not taken, we are going back to where we are mixing a lot of traditions. When it comes to, if you want to get something from God, do this. If you want to do this, do this. If you want to do this, do this. We're going back. And that's why we have to, again, nail this thing to our church doors. That salvation in Christ alone is enough. Faith in Christ are you hearing what I'm saying? Because that's how gradually we start with bottle of oil. From oil we enter handkerchief. From handkerchief we've entered cane. Now we discover that the, 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 the anointing oil is not enough. We've entered coconut oil. Hmm? Then you now hear a pastor say, I want you to bring money so that I will do some work for you. Have you heard that? Have you heard people say that? That you want to do spiritual work? What more spiritual work can you do than what Jesus did on the cross? Praise God. You know, people say, you have faith, but... You know, I've even heard people say, all these messages are okay, are in abroad. But African demons, hmm, African demons. <laughs> you see, you know, when Jesus went on the cross, he said, well, I died so that you can overcome if you're just able to make it abroad. African demons, <laughs> is that what Jesus said on the cross? When Jesus said it is finished, did, did he refer to demons from your father's house? When he said he conquered principalities and powers and made an open show, 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 show shame of them. <laughs> Did he include altars in your father's household? No. I thought somebody said no. Did the blood cover the altar in your father's house? Why are you digging them up? Why do you like dirty things? Something is covered, you like it. Why don't you have faith in Christ? That you are not cursed. Hmm? You know, people, sometimes people meet me and say, Pastor, there's this near success syndrome as I'm about to just get to something. And I, I, I find it hard to, explain, to understand. What do you mean by that? They say, anytime something good just want to happen like this. They will just hijack it. I say, who are they? You know, the word they is the same thing that spread rumors. They said, he said, she said, they said, they said. You know, you've never found day in your life till you die. Death is never found. It's the same thing. They are after my life. 
they want to kill me. Eh? Saints, this book is enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Even fasting that should be a spiritual exercise to lead us to God is almost now like punishment. They'll say, do dry fasting. And I've, I've warned you, don't, you will kill yourself. You will kill yourself. And God will be very displeased that what killed you is dry fasting. Medically, you shouldn't go two, three days without water. Don't punish yourself for nothing. Jesus has died. We don't need your blood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Fast like somebody who has sense and who wants to live long. Starvation is not fasting. Because what we are also doing, and you need to be careful of this, what we are also doing is we are copying Eastern religious practices where people will go days without food and starve themselves and, you know, that will lead to a, 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 a uh, how do I put it now, will lead them to piety and all of that. You see, that's not the faith. I fast. I believe in fasting. In fact, most times when I fast, people don't know that I'm fasting. That's the way it should be. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not like when you are fasting, you just know. You just, you know, you will show everybody. Say, ah, say, I did program. Oh, I did program. I did program. Everybody knows. Even when you're to take food, they say, don't take him food. It's in program. You will, you will intentionally, intentionally go where they are serving food and not eat. You know they will serve food there. You will go there and intentionally not eat. Say, I'm in the program. I'm in the program. Why are you going there? You just want to show because again, that showmanship of you are the fasting type amongst us, what does it do? It adds to your spiritual feathers. Alright, so that was how we came to Sola Scriptura, that the scriptures alone is okay for salvation. Let's look at a few points around Sola Scriptura. First, Sola Scriptura means scripture was the supreme authority over the church. The supreme authority of scripture serves to keep church leadership accountable. What that means is even I that am preaching to you am not above scriptures. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When I begin to go beyond scriptures, that's the time to call me to order. Sola scriptura means that the sole authority is scriptures. Not Papa said, not Bishop said. If what Bishop says contradicts scriptures, it is wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If what Papa said contradicts scripture, it is what? It is wrong. Scripture is the sole authority of the church of Jesus. And that's why it's important that people be taught scriptures. Be taught the word of God. You see, because as God begins to increase you, that's why every minister must, must, must plead and pray to God to stay humble. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about this now. The Jeffrey brothers... God anointed them so powerfully. You know, you read a bit of some of this history. You enjoy them. You know, Rehab Bucky was a struggling missionary in South Africa. Nothing was going from his ministry. Until one of the Jeffrey brothers laid hands on him and imparted him. Yeah. He was a missionary in Africa struggling. So he went back home to, to Germany. Was it Germany or England? I think he went, he went back home. But I think either England or Germany. And... Um, he saw a door called the Jeffrey, the homes of the Jeffreys. And he was wondering, could this be the Jeffrey brothers? 
and uh, he wanted to go in and the, the, I think the nurse or someone stopped him but from inside one of the Jeffrey brothers called for him he came in hands were laid on him prayed over him prophesied over him and bam that began the explosive ministry that one of God's greatest servants Riyad Bonke had but you know what affected the Jeffrey brothers one time they came to preach and he said the world is under my feet after that the ministry began to go into decline I mean, today we look at miracles that people perform and we stand in awe of them. Go read church history and see God, people that have, I mean, John G. Lake, John G. Lake walked in so much power of the Holy Spirit and in the healing power of God that Spokane, Washington was declared as the healthiest city in the whole world. Healthiest. The man drove sicknesses. He was arrested for practicing medicine without license. Yeah? I mean, imagine, imagine us flowing in so much supernatural power that Boney Island is declared as the healthiest city in the world. Not because we're doing environmental sanitation, but because the spirit of the living God is oozing through every one of us. Saints, we have a long way to go. Right? Yeah, but I was talking about another man called Alexander Doe, who founded the Zion City. You know, Alexander Doe moved in so much miraculous power of God I think who was born in Zion City. Was it Robert Slyadon or, or Robert? I think it was Robert Slyadon that was born in Zion City. Alexander Dewey came up and, and started wearing all of those priestly garments and called himself the Elijah that has come. That, beca- that begin, began the decline of Alexander Dewey. That's why we need to be careful of these titles. Because what we're finding again is that we're coming back to that era where people are assuming titles for themselves and putting themselves in the place of God. See, the oracle one of God. Major, major one. The lion of Africa. You know, the titles are not pastor XYZ is not enough anymore. It's pastor XYZ. Aka, thunder fire, thunder fire. <laughs> right? We're not comfortable dressing simple again. The same things we criticize the Catholic Church for and the Protestant Church for. You remember at, at, at the time, Pentecostals went again and began to pursue the titles of bishop and archbishop and began to dress the very same dress that he had issues with. I don't have a problem with that. You can wear whatever you want to wear. But what I'm trying to say is that if the church is not called back to reformation, the decline is usually very gradual. The very things we spoke against will begin to do what? We begin to embrace. Praise God. So number two, the second aspect to solar scripture was the sufficiency of scripture. Please go to John 30, John 20, 30 to 31. Scripture equips believers with all that is needed to be saved and persevere to ultimate salvation. What that means is that scripture is sufficient. It's okay. You don't need any extra book. To be saved. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. Jesus, I'm reading John 30, John 20 now, 30 to 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Alright? Now, let me explain this to you. You must realize that all the things that Jesus did were not recorded. Hello? Yeah, everything that Jesus did wasn't recorded. So the scriptures doesn't have the absolute account of everything Jesus did. Now, 
That's why sometimes when people ask me certain questions, I tell them, listen, if the Bible is silent on a matter, be silent on it. You see, if we want to dig, dig, the apple that uh, Cain ate, was he read? Uh, listen, why don't you just stay with what scripture tells you and progress? If not, you will not have questions that lead to unnecessary argument. If Cain, if Cain and Abel were the first people, who did Cain marry? I want to understand that thing now. Who did Cain marry? How does that lead? To, does that lead to your salvation? No, does that lead to your salvation? There are answers for that, but my question is, does that lead to salvation? It doesn't lead to salvation. The primary things that were documented for us are the things that will lead to what? Our salvation. Are you following this? Alright. But it now says, verse, the next verse, but these are written that you may believe. Next verse, please. Verse 31. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. In fact, the so what was written? Now, please follow this because this is very important. Because sometimes people ask us, eh, "Did Jesus do this? Did Jesus do this? listen? What was written is." Sufficient for us to believe To come to salvation So everything that was written in scriptures Especially the New Testament Was written to prove This is important That Jesus is the Messiah The Son of God That by believing in Him We will be saved So they, 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 it's like How do I put this now? Uh, it's like if I want to write that uh, Let's say If I want to prove that Mr. Kalada is a man, for instance. If that's what I want to prove, if I have an essay to prove, I will not write everything about him. All I will try to write are what? The points that prove that he's what? He's a man. That, that, do you understand that? I'm not going to write other things he did which probably will not even prove to that fact. So, what you find in scripture, because the Bible says that if everything that Jesus did was to be written, all the books in the world will not contain it. So, what you find in scripture, essentially, we are not trying to search for those ones that were, that, that were not written. The one that is written is enough to occupy us for our lifetime. You know, yesterday night as I was studying, I was studying with Samira, and then she was studying, I was studying. So, I just got, I, so I asked her, I said, can you imagine that Let's say we do ministry for another 40 years. So for the next 40 years of our life, we'll just be preaching the Bible, preaching the Bible. She was like, why are you thinking like that? I was like, wow. You know, because somehow you just look like, yeah, will you have a message for next year? <laughs> you know, but it's amazing how generations, generations, generations have come. And we can't even dig into the riches of God's word. Praise God. Our kids will come up. We'll still pick this word. We'll still shape. I mean, it's amazing. We're not looking for what is not lost. What is written is geared towards a purpose that will prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, I don't know if I'll get there, but let me say this quickly. That's why sometimes you find the account of the gospel a bit different. Matthew wrote primarily to, towards a Jewish audience. Luke wrote and Mark wrote towards the Gentile audience. If you read Mark, you see that Mark pays a lot of more detailed attention to the miracles of Jesus. John writes more from so in Mark you would find Jesus used the word the Son of Man. Mark, sorry, uses the word the Son of Man, especially in the statements of Jesus, a lot. 
Because he was also trying to talk about the humanity of Jesus and his divine expression. If you read the book of John, you will find out that John wrote from a more divine perspective and wrote more about Jesus being the Son of God. So you see, all of the writings, Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, and John, they came from different perspectives based on their audience. So in certain, for instance, in certain miracles in Mark, you find the account very short. And in in um, other gospels, it will be very long. And the reason is because they were trying to write to people at different times and they wrote in such a way that it can convince them that what Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, when they were writing this, they never had in mind that these books were going to be collated together to become a Bible. So it's like I say, I mean, I do it all the time, right? What did you learn in church? How, how, many, how many of you have heard? Sometimes then I say, what did you learn in church? And then some people just talk. You just put your head, Jesus. <laughs> like, I mean, you are, you are, it's not what you learned. It's what you are teaching us. Because what you are saying and what we are saying is new. But how many times have you heard people say the same things I taught in church, but from a different perspective? But when you look at all what they are saying, it points to this one singular truth that I taught. That's exactly what happens. Alright? So Mark wrote... Luke wrote, Matthew wrote, John wrote, but when you look at all of them together, you would see that they point to the singular truth that Jesus is what? The Messiah. And when the letters were written to the churches, they were addressing specific things in the churches. So they, they did not have the mind that later all these things would become a Bible. No. So Peter wrote to the people that were scattered abroad. So if you read the book of First Peter, Peter wrote to the saints that were scattered abroad. Let's look at Peter quickly. Uh, let me just show you this. First Peter chapter one verse one, quickly, please. Thank you, Lord. Are you learning something this morning? You know, I'm praying that this will stay hunger in your heart to go and read more, hmm? study some more. First Peter one one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. How were they residing as aliens? Because persecution has, has scattered them. So if you read the first book of Peter, first Peter chapter one, first Peter chapter one, if you read the whole of chapter one, you'd find that Peter was talking about the suffering and how they should endure, how it's for a living hope. So Peter was writing to the saints that were scattered due to persecution. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. Alright? So so you see that this letter was addressed to these people. That's why you must understand that the, the Bible is written for you, but not to you. Very important. It's written, these things are written for our learning. But it wasn't written to you. So First Peter was written for you, but not to you. It was written to these people. So when we are reading, we have to first of all read it in line to the people that it was written. For instance, if you read First Peter chapter 1 now... Let's quickly, 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 verse 3 to 7. Let's quickly read it. Verse 3 to 7. First Peter chapter 1, 3 to 7. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable on the Father, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 
so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Now, when you read that, it's not telling you that trials perfect your faith. He's actually writing to people who were under trial daily. Are you, are, you, are you following this now? Now, he was writing to people who were under trial. Now, listen, you're going through various trials now, but that's the salvation. That's the hope. It's like now you're writing people, if you're writing a letter to the saints in Afghanistan, would you write it a bit differently than if you're writing to the saints in River State? What would you write to the saints in River State? Grace and peace be unto you. Rejoice! God has blessed you with abundance of oil and abundance of gas. Lift your hands and rejoice. Yeah, that's what you write, right? There's nothing to be, to be ungrateful for. You are blessed. You have light. You have kenu. You have... And then, thank me. But we are writing to the saints in Afghanistan. You think the greatest problem now is whether God has blessed them with anything. Come on, what will you write to them? You write for them to, to hold on and you will show them something beyond this material world. Right. Now, how do we take the lessons for ourselves? If you are now going through trial, you can now read First Peter. And say, you know what? If the saints then could go through this and could endure and could stand for the faith, then what I'm going through is not enough for me to quit. Do you see how the lesson applies to you? But you know that somebody can come and say, you know what? Trial will strengthen your faith. If God wants to make your faith strong, He will send trial. You know that He has wrongly interpreted that scripture. Why did He wrongly interpret that scripture? He did not interpret it because of the people He was risen to first. That's why for you to become a priest in the Roman Catholic Church or in the Anglican Church and all of that, they'll send you to school first. Part of what you do is history, philosophy and all of that. You know, it's only in Pentecostal that somebody can wake up in a dream and go and start a church. Hmm? So I was sleeping and God said to me, Maxwell, my son. I said, yes, my father. I said, Maxwell, my son. Yes, my father. Look at the time. I looked up. It was 3056. God said, that is the name of your ministry. 3056 Pushers International. And then the man stands up and boom, church has started. Hmm? There's no training, there's no discipleship. That is why one of the questions you, you should ask any minister of the, of the gospel, who trained you? Who discipled you? You cannot get born again in the womb and be called from the womb without a trainer. Everybody has to be trained. Jesus did not release people without training. He discipled people. If you don't have the opportunity of going through a formal school, then the criteria for getting into ministry is proper what? Discipleship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we just come up to that and say, well, as I was coming this morning, God was speaking to my left ear. You know, I've heard people say that. Have you heard people say that? That God is talking to me in my left ear. It's amazing, huh? That God chose to leave the right and go to the left. You know, it sounds very dramatic, right? It's, it's, it sounds like, wow! The guy can even tell you the ear that God is speaking to. God spoke to my left ear. God speaks to your spirit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's the spirit that bears witness to your spirit. God has no business with your left ear. There are very rare times. Listen, there are very rare times God speaks to people audibly. Very rare times. 
Because if, if you begin to go by audible words, it is easy for demons and familiar spirits to speak to you and to ruin your life. That's why somebody will stop going to school that he heard a voice. And you look at his life and say, listen, if God is speaking to you, you cannot be like this. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because they go about with all those visions and all those dreams. And that's how the Mormon scripture came about. And that's how some of these spiritual books came about. People just have these encounters. And that's why even as spiritual as the Lord enables us to work, we must stay within the framework of scriptures. Praise God. We must stay within what? The framework of scriptures. It might look dry, it might look, but you stay there. You're safer. Stay with the word. Alright? Stay with the word. And you see, when you stay with the word, your convictions are stronger. You know, I've seen this, well, I don't know if it's true. I see stuff on social media, so I'm very careful when I quote social media. But I've seen this, I don't know if it's true, but I've seen it. That a pastor in Afghanistan said Disciples are not made in conferences Disciples are made by conventions And that's true Have you seen Christians who go from one conference to another? Huh? They are always looking for something hmm? Like my friend Pastor Peter Alabi will say You are in a local church where you are taught the word You see, ah, rain of God's fire This rain, this rain will not pass us by eh? Another church has umbrella of God's goodness We must enter that umbrella <laughs> then the next thing you have fire on the mountains. They say, ah, we have to carry wood. Let's be part of this right here. What are you looking for? Running helter skater. <laughs> what are you looking for? Not, not every meeting is meant for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Not every meeting is meant for you. So, the truth of the matter, there's nothing wrong with your life. It's just impatience. You want to achieve today. What is already in the plan for you in the next two years? Just relax. Enjoy your life. You get there. It will come, you know, sweatless. This pressure people put on themselves is because we discard the authority of scriptures and the workings of God in our life. Praise God. The third element of solar scripture is the clarity of scriptures. This does not mean that all of scripture will be crystal clear to Christians, but the clarity of scripture denoted that any person could read the scripture for themselves and discover the basic way of salvation. That means that scripture is clear enough that even if nobody interprets certain portions of scripture to you, you can still do what? Understand salvation. Romans, what does Romans say? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. That's clear. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's clear. I mean, you don't need any interpretation for that. Alright? Now, the Reformers did agree that part of Scripture was, some part of Scripture was difficult to understand, but these passages did not threaten the sufficiency of Scripture. Rather, the unclear, listen carefully to this, the unclear parts of Scripture were to be interpreted with the parts that were clear. This is very important. Anything in scripture you don't understand, this, the understanding is already in scriptures. You have to find it. Let me give you an example. Uh, I think I've taught it here, but I'm, I'm thinking of teaching it again because I think I thought it when we were in the other church. I don't know if it's recorded. Have I thought on Paul's thorn in the flesh? Okay, Paul's thorn in the flesh. You know, people say Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness. God gave him sickness. Some people say, oh, because Paul said, you're seeing this in my large handwriting, that he had eye problem. You know, a lot of things. So that's a bit controversial. It's a bit. So are you saying now that when somebody is sick, God will give them grace 
to bear the sickness and not heal. But then the Bible says God is here to heal us. So how do we unravel that? All we need to do is to take the phrase, turn in the flesh. And find out from scripture what turn in the flesh means. Okay. So we take that phrase, turn in the flesh. We start reading, we start reading, we get to numbers. And we see that the Lord tells them, if you do not drive these nations out of your... If you do not drive them out, they will become what? A turn in your flesh. So we say, oh, fine. Okay, that means turn in the flesh where people who, if they did not drive out, were going to fight them back. So turn in the flesh is people. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so we bring it back to Paul. And talks about the turn in flesh. And he now says it's a messenger of Satan. Not a messenger of God. Messenger of Satan. Okay. So we know that if he's a messenger of Satan, the purpose of the turn in the flesh would be to oppose the message of light. So we go to again and we see that he says, I wrestle with the beast in Ephesus. So we know that Paul was not fighting animals in Ephesus. He was fighting people who opposed the message in Ephesus who were the magicians. Okay, fantastic. So we can now conclude that tongues in the flesh means people that were opposing the message of Paul because he now says that God has opened the door for me, but there are many adversaries. He didn't say there are one adversary. If he said one, it would refer to Satan. He says there are many adversaries. So these adversaries would be the tongues, would be the beasts of Ephesus, would be the people who wrestled against the message. Now what did God say? God now told him, my grace is sufficient for you. Which simply means that in midst of the persecution, you will keep preaching the message. So that unclear part is clearer as we read the clearer part of scriptures. Bible study is serious business. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's serious business. Okay. So, why solar scripture? Uh, can I get through this? 1 Corinthians 4 6. Let's do this quickly. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I'll show you. Why do we have to do this? 1 Corinthians 4 6. It says, Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake. Look at what it says. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written. Why do we say scripture is sufficient? So that we do not exceed what is written. Don't go past what is written. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't go past what is written. Don't light candle on people's head. Don't go past what is written. Understand the Old Testament properly. And you know, I, I talk about this. I mean, I don't have anything against it, please. But you know, sometimes we pick, when we pick the anointing oil, or the olive oil, right? And I've explained to you many times. If you read the constitution of what should make the anointing oil in the Old Testament and the olive oil you buy, you will know that it is far off. That olive oil is part of the anointing oil. The anointing oil was actually mixed. There were recommendations that God made on how the anointing oil needs to be mixed. Huh? You see, if you go back to the Old Testament, you can't keep everything there. Just believe in Jesus. It's easier. Huh? The Holy Spirit lives in you. You say, no. The Holy Spirit is, in, is, is packaged in a bottle. And, and then when you now, you, now, you now put the bottle, hmm? 50 cl. 50 liters, 50 seal, 50 whatever, millimeters, whatever. Eh? You now buy that one. The Holy Spirit now finish. 
you now go and buy another one. You now go and buy another one. Someone say, eh, hey, but yeah. your hands are anointed. This one is with you until you die. Why don't you just carry the one? The Bible says, greater is the one that lives on, in, on the inside of you. We need to teach believers more that the greater one lives on the inside. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So that the day you forget the bottle, you can at least, you know, yeah, you have the greater one inside. But you know, when man fell, he believes so much in what he can touch. And it produces miracles. And you know what produces miracles? Let me tell you what produces miracles. Faith. Yeah. You know, there was a time I stood here, I mean, and, and I said, the Lord is releasing grace upon us to have jobs. Yeah? You know people had jobs? Oh, people had jobs. You know why? Faith. Hmm? If I can still say, you know what? God spoke to me. As I'm standing on this holy altar, if you touch this altar, that promotion that I've been stopped. You see, what happens is, as you are walking here, you already believe. Ah, if I can touch that altar. If I can touch that altar. What I'm not saying is, don't come. Sit where you are. And trust that God will bring it to pass. That one is the stronger... Because that one demands work. The work of fighting unbelief and the work of staying in the world. That's the one you don't want. You want the easy one. That you just come and touch. Father, I've touched. Oh, Father, I've touched. Father, I've touched. You will, I, do you understand what I'm saying? Then when the thought, the, the thought of doubt comes, you say, but I touched. But I touched. Do you understand that? It will not be with the word. I'm not saying anything, but do you get what I'm trying to say? And we need to be careful of these things. We need to be careful of these things. Because if we're not, it's easy to now slide into idolatry. And again, we'll be going back to where God is leading us from. He that the Son sets free is free indeed. Just believe that. Praise God. Alright, so, so that we don't go beyond what is written. Mark, Mark chapter 7 verse 6 to 9, Jesus says, You teach the commandments of men as the doctrines of God. So, one of the reasons for Sola Scriptura is so that we don't teach the commandment of men as the doctrines of God. So, let me explain something. As a church, we can decide to do something. Okay? We can decide to do something. It, it's, it's our tradition. But we don't teach it as a commandment from God. For example, when you say, women should not wear trousers. You know? I mean, there are people who are just uncomfortable with women wearing trousers. It's fine if you feel women should not wear trousers. But don't see now that if women wear trousers, they'll go to hell. Because it's very simple, right? I mean, you will see a branch of a church in Nigeria that don't allow the women to wear trousers. That same church, the branch in America, they wear trousers. So is it that the, 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 the church is now geographically divided? Truth must be consistent across all borders. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, they will not say, a man should not wear what pertains to a woman. A woman should not wear what pertains to a man. Simple, simple scripture. What pertains to a woman, what pertains to a man. And somebody takes that scripture. But what they, sh- what they will not understand is that if you read the verses before that scripture, it says you shall not sow your crops, your field with two crops. Neither shall you put two gamets in the same place. So if, for instance, uh, for instance, if we have to follow that, it means that you cannot, you know, like what my sister Adeline is wearing here. She's got her normal shirt and then there is black stuff, right? Am I right? Uh-huh. Those are two garments. I mean, it won't work. 
Because two things are already pieced together. So even though she's not wearing trousers, she has also broken the law by putting two things together. That means when you eat food that came from where somebody planted pumpkin and corn, you've already broken the law because you cannot plant two seeds together. That's what it says. These things are simple. The problem is that we don't want to read all the verses. We want to read what concerns us and leave the rest. So, what is God saying? God is saying something way deeper than that. Are you following this? That's just an example. So that we don't teach the what? The traditions of men as what? The doctrines of God. That's why we go into solar scripture. Let me do this quickly. We have maybe 10 minutes. What are some of the external evidences that the Bible is the Word of God? Number one, the continuity of the Bible. The continuity of the Bible. It is written by more than 40 authors over 1,600 years, but it's still one book. It's not just a collection of books. It's still one book. Alright? The authors were kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, physicians. You know, Luke was a doctor. Tax collector, Matthew. Statesmen, scholars, poets, farmers. Imagine one book written over a period of 1,600 years with people of different social standing. They didn't sit in one place to write it. They wrote from different geographical locations. Was reading from Italy, Greece, Babylon, Persia, and Israel. Over three continents. And yet, when you bring all their materials together, even though they did not sit to copy notes from each other, there's one thread that runs around it. No book can ever do that. Right? So we see that uh, they wrote... Three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and New Testament. The Bible is not an anthology of books by different authors. It's an amazing continuity from Genesis to Revelation is one thing, even though it was written by many people of different backgrounds. Number two, the Bible is the only book in the world that has accurate prophecy. There, were o- there are over 300 precise prophecies that deal with Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. 300 precise, accurate. There were things David wrote that Jesus fulfilled. How could you have planned that? Hmm? There were things David wrote that Jesus fulfilled. You know when he says, uh, the one I ate with, the one that did his hand in the same place we ate has betrayed me. You know, you, go, you know, if you go and read that, now use it to pray. Oh, Father, anybody that is dipping hand inside what I'm eating, and they are betraying me. <laughs> you know, he's not talking about you, Abby. You know, he, has, he doesn't have you in mind. Eh? Who was he talking about? Jesus and Judas. Hmm? So when you read the Psalms, look for Jesus. Don't look for your enemies. Eh? When you read the Psalms, look for Jesus. That's important. If you look at the Psalms, look at Jesus. Look for Jesus in the Psalms. Look for Jesus in Isaiah. Stop looking at yourself. Christianity is not about you. Find Jesus. You will find yourself because you are in Him. That's why in the New Testament, the greatest prayer Paul prayed. You see that Paul did not bind and cast. Did not lose and open. The greatest prayer Paul prayed is what? That the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. That you know the mystery of God's will. Alright? That's the greatest. And, but that prayer is one prayer Christians get tired of praying for. Hmm? What do you want to pray for? Speed. Pray that your eyes be enlightened. You will know how to gain speed. Huh? 
Wisdom is the principal thing. If we spend time investing in wisdom, you gain speed. And this thing we talk about speed. How do we measure speed? You are talking about speed because you are measuring it with someone else's life. Yeah, that's the truth. I mean, how do you, how do you, what speed to you? Huh? What speed? You want to hammer. That is speed now. All the speed you are talking about is money. You know most of our problem is just money. And hey, how you, however you turn the prayer request, it's just money. You say, Lord, this year, let the door open. It's money. Lord, grant me speed. It's money. Supernatural favor is money. Abi? Am I? Am I? You know that all this prayer you are praying, if someone just comes and says, listen, see, just pray what is in the Bible. Take like one billion. You know that you now realize that you don't have prayer points. You just now realize, eh, so what do we pray? Because everything you have been praying in your life is just money. Then you are there and you now say, ah, there's nothing to pray. It's just to thank God. It's just to thank God. Okay, why don't you start thanking God now? Since you know there's nothing to pray. You know, the things that hinder us from praying prayers in the world is our own needs. But listen, if you take your eyes from your need and focus on the word, you'll be amazed at how God meets your need. I'm not saying we can't pray for those things. I hope you understand where my heart is coming from. What I'm just trying to say is that when we look at the scriptures, the predominant person we see in scriptures is what? Jesus. And if we find Jesus, we'll find ourselves because we're in him. Praise God. All right. The extent of biblical revelation. There were things that there are things there are things. There was something Pastor Banky was saying. I, I can't explain it publicly. It's, it's science. I'm not a science person. But there are things he was trying to explain around science and the black hole and some of those stuff that a scientist read in the book of James. I was like, this is what we've been trying to figure out for years. There were things the Bible wrote about way back that science is proven to be true. Isaiah 40.22 He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. The circle of the earth. The circle of the earth. We know the earth is spherical. Circle of the earth. That was written about 2,800 years ago. Job 26.7 says He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How did Job know that the earth was suspended over nothing? Right? That was written 4,000 years ago. Archaeology proves that the Bible is true. There are places written in the Bible that you could go today and still find out. There are things written in the Bible that scientists still concur that it is true. Okay, let me stop here. The testimony of Jesus. So if we have the claims that Jesus is true, which we know he is, by the, his dead burial resurrection, we also know that Jesus verified that the scriptures are true because he quoted extensively from the Old Testament. Praise the name of the Lord. There's a whole lot of material we can go through. We'll make this, I'll make this available on our platform so you can download it. Try to get this book, God Breathed, Josh uh, McDowell, The Undeniable Power and Reliability of Scriptures. This will just give you extra material on the fact that scripture is the word of God. It's the truth of God's word. And you see what? When that becomes a conviction, you now begin to build on from there. Praise the name of the Lord. Have you been blessed so far? Alright, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We, we, we thank you for the, the immense value that's in the Word of God. We, we thank you for the sacrifice of your Son for us. We thank you, Father God, for the pioneers, the heroes of faith, the martyrs of the faith that you used to bring to us the written Word. Thank you for those you used to write the Word, to give us this treasure of immense value. We honor them. 
Father, we thank you for. We know that our lives will never be the same again. We stand convinced that the word of God is true. It's powerful. It's all sufficient for our salvation. We pray, Father God, that as many as need the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus, the laborers be raised in the field, they come to the knowledge of the Son of God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Alright, um, let's, let's give our offerings. I want to encourage you to give your tithes, your offerings. Your consistent, continual giving opens the door of blessings to you and helps to keep the church running and doing what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Let's have our account on the screen. We're just trying to pray. I want to appreciate those of you who are giving constantly and consistently. It helps to, to make the kingdom of God go far. Preach the word of God. Keep the lights on. <laughs> Praise God. Alright, we'll call your seed blessed and we'll release the spirit of prosperity upon you in Jesus' mighty name. Tell you how I feel It wouldn't matter What I have to give I will find a way To get it for you But fortunately That's not the case And we both know I don't Have a bank anyway But I won't let it affect my presentation to you, cause this is what I bring, here is my heart, my mind, Lord here's my life, my everything, take it, it's yours Lord, it's all I have to give, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Please, I would like to welcome, um, if today is your first time worshiping with us, please come. This time here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, okay, so let's be encouraged to to invite people to church remember the vision 500 it's our obligation it's our responsibility for to God and the church to to get people to to church and to listen to God's word amen praise the lord um, so Wednesday service continues um, with still holds 6 6 o'clock to 7.30 p.m. And Sunday services, first service, 7.30 a.m. And second service, 10 a.m. And um, the growth class form is still available if you want to join, if you want to join any service unit in church, you want to serve in the church, um, you have to go through the growth class. So that's where you learn um, how to serve and then some other principles of the ministry. Praise God. And the data form for church members is 
also is still available if you've not filled the form please kindly Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.